My name is Alex Kashuta, and this is the Subversive Podcast. It's an excuse for me to talk to some of the most interesting people on the heterodox to heretic spectrum. Everyone from iconoclast philosophers to rogue scientists to real post-BuzzFeed journalists and our true intellectual elite, Twitter anonymous accounts. In short, they're quite subversive. Enjoy. Today I am joined by Morgoth of Morgoth Review. He is a uh, YouTuber, a video essayist, an essayist, a Substack author currently. Um, and uh, I want to welcome you to Subversive. Hello there. Thank you very much. I've heard, uh, I've heard good things around, in the, around the campfire about your podcast and you. Oh, that's good. Good to hear. Uh, you know, you you never know if there are good things in the in the diverse uh, DM groups and, and you know group chats that I'm not privy to. So very happy to to hear that's good. Um, you uh, are kind of a a veteran of the online. You've you've been in in kind of these spaces, this corner of the internet for for a longer time. Um, we've reached kind of a, a I don't know a strange kind of mature point in a way in the so-called dissident right. I mean, what? Uh, what do you make? What's your assessment of the the current state of the dissident right? Is is anything worthwhile crystallizing? Is anything good coming out of it? Too much black pilling? Too little black pilling? You know, what's what's your sense? I think I think I think part of the problem. Um, it, it's very difficult because we've had this kind of crisis after crisis for the last few years, so it's hard to sort of just feel as if your feet are on the ground. And you can think, well, okay, this is the direction we have to go because no sooner does that happen, then it seems like the, the whole table is overturned again. And then you're, you're trying to find your balance all over again. That's certainly been the case in my case. Um, where you, you, you come, we're confronted with things, at least I, you know, I can only really speak for myself, but I think it's a, it's a, it is a wider thing where we're confronted with situations which we, 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 struggle sometimes to have a frame, frame of reference for. I mean, the obvious one would be the pandemic, uh, uh, but then the the whole, the way that the Trump presidency ended um, and the, the sort of the, the warning lights and the, the flashing sirens going off around the election itself. And then, um, the, then quickly you had the kind of January the 6th thing. I mean, this is very much an American thing. And so then it sort of washes over the rest of the the vassal states of America, but even that this this idea that um, European countries really are just these vassal states of America, I think this is this is like the new thing. This is a new yet since the Russia Ukraine thing, and especially in the last few weeks, this seems to be coming more and more to the fore now, where you've got a lot of nationalists in Europe. More than usually, um, I, th- I think it's there in the background. And then more recently, they're thinking that the, the, the American situation may be more of a problem than we even first imagined. Because they, like, if you just take the, the, the Nord Stream pipeline and the consequences, which has already been completely dropped from, from the mainstream news, um, then that, that does have serious, serious consequences for Europe. And for European industry, um, and you know the, the the latest on that is that now uh, the Turks are set to have the levers over Europe's like, main energy supplies or something along, and they already had that with the migrants. So y- y- <laughs> we end up in this like really precarious position due to the fact that we are kind of America's allies, if you like, and then you think well. If we are allies, then why is why is it that we always get like the shitty end of the stick? To be honest, um, and as, so so the point here is that once again, it's it's new territory. I mean, in in terms of the far right sort of literature and reactionary literature, that animosity towards America isn't new. That has been wrong for a long time. But but in in the sort of the dissident right sphere. 
this is I think this is going to be a bit of a dividing point where actually our interests are not the same. Now you can say, yeah, okay, we the the American government should be doing better for the white people in America. We can all agree on that, absolutely. But it becomes a problem when, at the end of the day, we need a Europe which is just not dependent on America. You know, and and this is going to kick. People will say, well, what about if uh, we ended up being like pro European and, and all of this kind of thing? Uh, you know, it, it opens up all that kind of thing. You know, like it, it, would it ever be possible for Germany and Russia to have an alliance? Um, what, what would, would if Europeans were running America in their interest? Would they have a problem with that? And it, this ends opens up all kinds of forty chess scenarios, which I, you know, I don't really want to get into here. The 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 main the main point that I'm trying to get to is. Um, it's it's hard to know the direction of things are going because you're never allowed to just have your feet on firm ground and say, okay, so this is the task at hand. Because then, as a new crisis comes along, it didn't used to be like that. I mean, in the um, the sort of the classic sort of alt right twenty fifteen uh, twenty to twenty sort of seventeen or eighteen period. It it really was um, just sort of the migrant crisis. Uh, the the Islamic thing with the terrorism was is a big thing which people tend to forget about now. Um, and so you, you knew what the problem was, and it was about red pilling as many people as possible uh, and demanding solutions from the system. And it seemed like a kind of simple time, but the the when when we are expected to kind of process just one crisis after another, um, it's difficult because, you know, there was big splits over the pandemic, um, which I was kind of, you know, I took one side and others took another different side. But then you see it again on, which I haven't really been involved with, is the the, the Ukraine-Russia war um, and just the general, the general, oh, oh, Christianity or this, that, the other. It's, it's, it's chaos, to be honest. It's, it's chaos. It's like, it's like, it's like a snake pit that tames. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's my feeling as well. There's just been, at least in the last, I don't know, six months, I feel like the, the intensity and frequency of schisms between urbanites and ruralites, uh, between, you know, the Christians and the pagans, between the serious pagans and the not so serious pagans between people, the, the sex havers and the, you know, committed Volcells and all sorts of uh, strange, strange little, little splits and schisms that um, I don't know. Um, do you, do you think that kind of on, at the basis of this, you know, this increasing frequency of, um, of crises, um, do you think that this has some kind of coordinated core, or is this just the kind of the stage of, of liberalism's tailspin where these crises will just become more frequent just because of the systemic nature of kind of the decay of the system that we're in? Like uh, these are kind of almost almost actual crises. I mean, obviously they're they're propagated by media and they're they're inflamed by media, but there is you know the substrate is actually breaking down. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's interesting because that was actually at the core of the. The pandemic schism, where I, I ended up coming out on the side, which said, which didn't really believe any of the the, 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 the mainstream kind of narrative on it. I, I just thought this is one giant um, scam. I'm not. I, I do. I just don't. I don't trust any of this that I'm being being told. Um, <clears throat> and of course, that fed into this kind of larger narrative of the Great Reset and. Um, sort of the digitized 2030 agenda and everything. And then um, it, it was like, it all just seemed to get swept off the table immediately because of the Russia invading the Ukraine. Um, I did a video, actually. I did a video about a year ago called The Elephant and the Whale. And the, I was trying to process um, all of this. And the way, because the 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 power centers which had been exposed or had revealed themselves because of the pandemic, I'd never considered them before. Like in the back of my mind, I was aware there was some kind of conspiracy theories around Bill Gates, 
there was a couple of people telling me that I should be looking into the Agenda 2030 and the climate change. Um, and, and there was a few other things. And I just wasn't interested. I was I was in into standards, the standard sort of nationalist kind of things. Um, and then of course it just you just couldn't ignore it any longer. <laughs> it was just ridiculous. I mean, I'm I'm literally getting like letters through the door uh telling me to to go and get the, the needle craft at the hospital and everything. Um so all of a sudden this is right it was right in your face. Um this was in the real world. This was people with masks on walking down the streets and signs everywhere and being locked in your homes. So this was this was no longer this kind of abstract thing on the internet. Um, it was it was imposing itself on you in the real world. And well, the way the amazing thing about that is the when in my video the 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 elephant and the whale, I kind of looked at the old analogy. Where I was trying to understand this more, this newer, more technocratic kind of power, which doesn't seem to be rooted anywhere in the world, um, it's it's very much of the 21st century, and it can go anywhere and seem to do anything. But I was like, how do you then wire that up about the fact that like nations still exist and they still do have geopolitical interests? Um, and of course, uh, like what four or five months after I uh, did the video, um, it was like the elephant struck back. So the, the the whale is is in his element in this digital digitized world of uh, these rootless NGOs who just float around the world. The the ability to shuttle money across the internet and all of this, and it's as if there was the this kind of more technocratic sort of globalism was coming in, which had transcended the nation state entirely. Um, and I compared it to in the old days where, for example, the British Empire would be a sea empire. Um, and then you would have a country like uh, France or Germany, which were land-based. And it was this kind of two opposing forces, but they were both in their different elements. And I was wiring this up when the Russia invaded the Ukraine, and then all of a sudden it was like the land, so the, the old-fashioned geopolitical interests had suddenly like sort of kicked back, and they were back with a bang. Um, and and amazingly, the the in my um, in the video, I played out like a sort of hypothetical scenario where I asked, what would happen if Google declared war on the nation of France? Like how would how would that work? Who could win? Um, what kind of resources can France throw at Google or Google at, at France? And it's a podcast that I'd like to do with one of the, the sort of the, the geopolitical bros, you know, who are more specialized in this. They're probably getting into it. It's something that I've discussed with them in private. And yet, um, so Russia invades the Ukraine, and then all of a sudden, you get all of these like all of these companies boycotting Russia. Um, so you could see like, it was actually happening in the real world. And in, to be fair, um, Russia seems to have survived it quite well. Uh, they, they threw everything they had at them. So there's still, there's still some kick in the elephant yet. So I don't think that it's, it's part of some grand conspiracy because the nation state does exist and these people do have geopolitical interests. But what's, a real head scratcher is that when you look at the repercussions of the, the war, um, you see that all of that kind of technocratic stuff, that the Agenda 2030 stuff, is is now being speeded up. So now the energy supplies have been wrecked, and they're like sort of panicking and trying to get back onto the nuclear nuclear reactors and see what they can do. But what they're also saying is like this is now. Um, I mean, Bill Gates literally came out and said this today. Um, that this is going to be good in the long term because it means we'll get solar power, we'll get uh, you know all the, the renewable energies for carbon reduction. So it's it's as if like magically all of this is still going to lead to the 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 kind of the the the, the green agenda twenty thirty. Which so when when it first happened, when the evasion first happened, you thought, okay, great. Like the nation state is back. 
and all of this kind of technocratic mumbo-jumbo and these rootless NGOs, they've all been kicked into touch. Um, and it's we're heading straight back into the, the digital gulag, as I call it. Um, speed it up. Speed it up now. The, I mean, what happens when the economies collapse? You know, are we going to end up with the central the CBDCs and um, or digital IDs with a phone? And all, all of this stuff just, just terrifies me. I'm, I'm very much of a, an early Gen X, 90s kid, and I'm, I'm just not at home in that world at all. I dislike it. I think there's already too much technology. But that's my general take on it. I, 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 I think it's because you have these emergent technologies, um, and if, if there's a like – they're pushing it anyway, but they, they, they've got this ability to sort of twist any – scenario or anything that's happened um in, in for forwarding their agenda so they they will fill that gap with their agenda yeah it it, it does seem like that and i it also seems to me like you said you said emergent um it feels like any sort of kind of immiseration of the population in in base reality and in, in meat space is you know is just a nice little wedge for them to you know to come in with the solution because I feel like that's that's kind of been the the the, the mo of of kind of neoliberal uh, kind of market libertarian types that are like okay you know we're gonna just rip out the substructure of this population and then you know to to free you obviously from all these you know unchosen bonds and all of these things that tie you down and then you have these behemoths like like states super statal organisms you know like WHO all these NGOs coming in to save you from all of the fallout created by you know kind of this, this neoliberal uh, f- freedom hunt that, you know, you're constantly trying to free people from more and more of their, you know, like communal ties, you know, you know, there are better jobs, you know, two countries over, you need to go there because that's, you know, that, that's the economically beneficial thing to do. That's what drives GDP up. So once you just optimize for GDP, you realize that just the, the whole institutional substructure of people's lives has been gutted. And what are you going to do? You know, you need the state to step in to to fill those gaps. You need, you know, the WF to step in to, you know, nurse them back to help. You need all of these NGOs to, to you know, fill these gaps. So, I mean, this is just like one hydra. It has so many heads and they all feed off of each other's handiwork. Um, and like you said, it, it is pretty frightening to the, the complexity and just the the the. That, that, I think that that's also why, you know, a, a space like the dissident right is kind of falling apart in a way because uh, it, it sees different heads of the Hydra and it focuses, hyper focuses on, on one head and then, you know, to the exclusion of all other hypotheses and we're all fighting about the Hydra. But the, the reality is that, you know, it's, it's, it's a very complex, you know, emergent thing. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's quite frightening. Yeah, there is, there is an element where you just end up sort of Standing in front of a speeding train just screams stop. I mean, the, the, I've I've long sort of had a, a, a problem with. I've long felt um, for years. Though when I was younger, I couldn't really put it into words. That I was I was the the West being in the West, um, and this was before I kind of became a sort of spangler nut. Um, but even before that, I, I got the feeling that the West was as if you're on this speeding train. Um, and I would look, I would travel as well, especially in the sort of northern Anglo countries. I mean, in my younger days, I, I went backpacking quite a bit around Europe. I lived on the continent for a long time. Um, and I remember going to small villages in rural Spain, and this would be like in the late 90s and early 2000s. And you did get this, the sense that like time just had, had kind of stopped, if it had ever started. It was just these little towns that nobody'd heard of in, in Spain. You, I look at maps there uh, still. Uh, you can just go to some small, like some some little village in, in the, the back end of Turkey or something, you know, some town in Chile. And you you look you look at the you think what goes on there, you know, and it is just people kind of doing their thing, just going about life. And in the West, it's different. In the West, everything is in constant motion and constant flux. And it's as if it's like speeding up. It's as if it's getting faster and faster. So you can really just hardly keep up anymore. I mean, I think things like the internet have, have like made all of this worse as well. 
I was out I was out walking my dog before thinking about some things that I could kind of um what we could touch on on the on the podcast. And and it was the, the I was reminded once again of how like the the, the the YouTube home page and how it collapses space and time. And it's just a jumble of absolutely everything. And it's and it it adds to this kind of feeling of rootlessness that you have in the West, and you can nothing is ever settled. You know the the the, the values change year in year out. I mean, twenty you know we look at something like twenty fifteen twenty sixteen seems it seems like a different world. There was hardly any of the transgender stuff around back then. Now it's like the all of them within like that what that six or seven years it's become the main issue. Of discourse in the Western world, and it's this. Um, I think it just sends people mad. There's, there's this feeling that you're on the speeding train all of the time, um, and and I, I wonder if it is like that in different parts of the world. And obviously, it will be. They 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 all get their moments in history, but there's something about being in the West which which is different in that regard. Yeah, it, it feels to me sometimes that you know, kind of liberalism and all this kind of meme plex that's grown out of it is just, you know, the, the justification and the operating system that the technology imposes, like just the, the, you know, the fact that you have, um, cheap hydrocarbons, you know, diesel motors, things that turn, um, you know, strange energy into extremely potent sources of energy. That's just, you know, it was just a huge moment of disruption in history and then you have, you know, the information revolution, like all of this stuff is happening in the West and it's all has been accelerating and it all kind of has this magical quality to it. You know, it's, it, it doesn't surprise me that it spawned um, a religious type mythology around it. You know, this idea of constant progress, you know, of the, of the, of the direction of history, of kind of this, this, this wig history feeling that, you know, things can only get better uh, because they only have gone better for, you know, a, a, a certain foreseeable future for the people who actually, you know, written down the, the, the cultural, uh, 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 kind of decalogue of, of the West. So, um, I think it, it feels like this is the era where, uh, people are going to start poking more and more holes into the theory. I mean, this didn't write, essentially, this is a, a big thing that this is one of the core revelations of the space is that, you know, it, it progress doesn't have to be, it's not a good in itself. It might have been for a short time and it might have been very location specific. It might have been very uh, ideology specific. It might have been, you know, even uh, emergent from a certain genetic makeup. You know, th- all of this stuff is, is you know, something that uh, our, our current ideolo- ideology can't uh, can cope with. So I did. A, I mean, one of me, me last video and uh, Substack article was on this very subject, where I, I asked the question: like, Is the West actually an elephant on stilts? And um, but what I hadn't considered, because this is in the the sort of the, we've got these problems with supply chains now. We've got these problems with uh, the energy supplies, and I kind of went on about the in the the, the video and the, the article about the the internet cables. And it was just this image of where you've got all of this, how crucial that is to to the West. Um, and then it's like, when you look at it, it's actually these cables like dangling over the side of cliffs under the Atlantic and things like that. I just thought, they, they that looks so precarious. And is it just me? And I was looking on the, the internet, I thought, this, this somebody must have noticed this. And yeah, there is there is quite a few articles, you know, these kind of sort of white papers saying the, the, the internet's great, but it is vulnerable. Like, have you seen how it works? And I noticed under the comments of the the, the, the video, especially, um, there was people saying like, "Well, we're, we're, we've got satellites now, so the, the cables aren't that important." And I thought that's actually worse because it, it kind of like because the, the gist of my article was that. You know, you can live like a happy, basic life without the internet. With, in other words, without progress, you, you like you don't need all of this stuff. I mean, even the food, even the supply chains have become so so precarious. So you need fertilizer from some country that where you're almost like basically you're at war with the country who is supplying you your fertilizer and your energy 
And if you can't get it, then the whole thing collapses. I just think find that ridiculous. Um, and and what it is 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 you're reaching the limits of, of of progress in a material sense, where globalism, you know, the last man and all of that, it offered you everything from everywhere. That that was the pitch. Uh, all material goods, everything, you know, you, all these amazing things. Your crocodile steaks from Australia and fruit from from South America and all of this, and it'll all be there on your on your supermarket shelf. Just waiting to be consumed, and it is it is kind of ridiculous. We 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 take it for granted, but historically speaking, that's just completely insane. And if it comes to it, where the future would be, so it, as somebody in Northern England, it would be eating like more more chickens or pork and more turnips and sprouts and these kind of old fashioned like basic English kind of diet that they had. In well, it would be kind of like my what the 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 lifestyle that my great grandmother had, or something like that when she she was young. Um, but the point is, like, progress isn't it isn't just written in; it isn't just a natural thing. Um, and even to sort of even what I got into in the article was that even the idea that we're starting to notice the edges of this. Um, you you become conscious of the fact that you, well your internet is just running under the sea or your gas is being shipped from countries who think who don't like you uh, even if it's the, the case of the Turks um, and and all of these all of these things you suddenly become aware of it in a way that you know ten years ago you could just take it for granted now suddenly everybody is being forced to realize that there's limits placed on this thing this this progressive sort of uh idea um it, it is because in a way for people on the right it's actually a bit of a, a bit of a white pill because people would say like the the sort of the digital gulag and the global homo kind of production and that that's done now i would do videos on um oswald spangler um which i've done quite a few on and at the end of it, they would say things like, well, the, the winter of civilization can't happen to the West in the way that it did with, um, say, the, the classic civilization or, or the rest of it. Um, and the reason for that is, that is as if we've passed the event horizon technologically, that there's no, there's no uninventing all of this stuff uh, anymore. Um, and it, it, it's a good point, to be fair, you know. It, it, it is it is a good point. How can Western civilization actually end when it's covered the whole world and China is basically, those Chinese cities are basically just New York. They are just copying the Western sort of uh, capitalist system, replicating it. But if everybody around the world is just doing that, then it's as if we've we've kind of transcended the cycle and that things are just going to keep going on and on and on in that progressive direction, which always seems to lead to this kind of inhuman uh, sort of turning the human into a commodity and in, into just a unit of production and consumption, something which is going to be squeezed into a, a model or, or like a spreadsheet of efficiency. Um, and that, that is actually the, the progressive thing. That's That's where they're going. And I don't think it's actually the case. I think um, I, I, when you when you begin to think about the how precarious it is, like the infrastructure of it, um, it may not be the case at all. It isn't the case that Germany's got a guaranteed gas supply for the rest of eternity, so they can like live in pods and just have production. Um, these these things are coming back now. Um, and of course, we're just at the very beginning of this process. But you can see that the, the idea of the, the progressive narrative of things just continually improving, it isn't actually um, a given. And it, well, the way I put it in the article was that it, we're entering this weird kind of stage now where it's as if the circular view of history is, try, is kind of dragging the progressive Whig view of history, kicking and screaming into a downward trajectory. So 
you, they don't want to. You know, they they don't want to go down. Uh, they don't want it to start kind of reaching past twelve and heading back down in the other direction. And they're conscious of it, and they're going to be barbaric and and crazy in order to prevent that from happening. This is why, you know, I know it's become this kind of conspiracy and a little cringe term, the Great Reset. But it, it's interesting to think what what it is they're trying to do because it's as if progress is is stalling um, on all fronts, and we're going to have to like have this almost like a great leap forward in order to make sure that it, it happens, it goes on again. And then you, you're like thinking, well, this is this is a this looks horrible. It's this kind of transhuman kind of horror show. Um, I don't want to be in that world. I don't want to have a social credit system and chips and body and all of these crazy things they talk about. Um, and so, from that perspective, I'll take the decline. I'll I'll take the return to the land um, and a, and a more basic life, to be honest. But the problem is that it's the conflict between the two is what's going to inform the, the coming decades and what's already informing life now. You know. Yeah, I think my my hope is that you know the like you said the the marketing is starting to wear a little bit thin because it's quite funny how you know all, like I said all of the immiseration and all of the all of the fallout of uh, you know progress so called progress technological progress uh, you know uh, food progress uh, you know you have the um, uh, what's it called uh, healthy at every size uh, campaigns and all this type of stuff I mean people are essentially deformed by what's out by by just you know mainstream uh, you know food production um, all of these things uh, you know they they get all sorts of you know mental issues and they're all kind of now now it's all about reducing stigma you know women are forced into prostitution it's all about you know sex workers and all this type of stuff so there's all sorts of layers of of marketing campaigns trying to reframe you know, this, this clear immiseration of people into something good, you know, or solar, you know, this is going to force people to have electric cars if you don't have enough, uh, whatever, gas or, you know, petroleum. It's, um, it's all, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's worked up until this point, but I even see it in, in the people around me in, in, you know, real life, you know, normies, <laughs> normal people who uh, are starting to be very, very, very suspicious of everything coming out through the, uh, the, the main pipe of information. Yeah, yeah, that's that's another problem we've got. You know, we've also entered into the what I call the the mono narrative, where there's only one thing allowed. There's only one narrative. I mean, I just saw a thing before and I posted it on Telegram. There was a so I'm in the northeast and about thirty or forty miles to the south. There's a, a city called Sunderland, and um, <clears throat> for years and years they've had a, an air show. Um, once a year, they have an air show, so you get like old aeroplanes from World War Two. Um, you'll get the Red Arrows, which is these jet fighters, and the 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 the, the vapor comes out. It's all different colors, and then the, the you'll get like um, say, well, not not this year, but you'd get like Russian helicopters, or and it was a real thing for men and boys to go along and look at all of the aeroplanes, you know. Um, I mean, I went along with my grandfather, and uh, it was just like a nice, wholesome thing. Um, and uh, they've banned it because it's uh, they they try the the city of the council, the 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 local bureaucracy in Sunderland, have just banned the air show because they want to reach net zero carbon emissions. And yeah, I just think, like, you know, so how do you actually? If if the world is improving, if things are getting better, because they have to frame that in a way, because they will be libtards on the council, otherwise they just wouldn't have done it. And and when they have done that, they have to convince themselves that that's an improvement on um on on life. On that, so now there's no air show anymore. You can't go along. You know, you'd have families going along. You'd have like. Kind of the obsessive with his binoculars, who was, you know, he knew all of the registration on all of the airplanes, and it, it's like real life. It's it's real people going along, and and socializing, and and enjoying something which is just wholesome and good and fun. 
um, and they've 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 banned it so that they can reduce the amount of carbon in the atmosphere to meet these technocratic quotas. But it what so they would say that was an improvement because the world has become a greener place. But what they've done is destroy, kill, stone dead a, a wholesome activity for people to enjoy in a, in a, like a, a genuine sense. That's gone now. That that doesn't exist. But then their abstract um, kind of number crunching, meeting the climate change agenda quota stuff, that's been reached. So the world is better for it. And I just think, no, that's not that that's not how humans are. That's not that's this isn't this isn't right. This is this is because you can see, um, if I and I I know that if you pushed back against this. The reply would be, um, it's just an air show. It's it's like, why is it so important? It's just a bunch of aeroplanes. And it's when we give up these little battles, and it's one thing after another, because I know it it'll be something else next week, and then it'll be something else after that. And and, and what you find is that they've they, it's the world as a spreadsheet. It's a world where all the poetry and all the joy of life is kind of just wiped out and all you're left is this kind of grid like thinking it, it, it's as if it's as if the, the, the computer and the ai is already like in control dictating everything and to be fair that probably would have come out of some kind of computer model that the 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 the, the, the air show at sunderland the, the they'll have it all worked out about how much carbon has been released and it can't be offset and all all of this other stuff um and so that's it so on, on in in the sort of the, the on the computer screen it's been a big victory they're moving into a brighter greener future but in the reality for people just who like living life that's over now and this is what we see time and time and time again it was the same with the pandemic it's that same mindset all of the time yeah yeah the pandemic kind of revealed this idea that uh, you know, for the regime at this level of the regime, bare life is the thing, the the one variable that needs to be optimized. You know, they're trying to optimize for preservation of bare life. Doesn't matter what conditions. Doesn't matter if your dad dies alone in you know a hospital bed surrounded by you know dancing TikTok nurses. No problem. Uh, you know, as long as we conserve the the headline number bare life with these you know completely you know made up tools that we just came up with, you know, five minutes ago, or just maybe copied from China, you know, because they've been doing them, you know, maybe they, they might know something we don't know. So it's, uh, it's, it's really interesting. But you know, the, the, the logic of this process is, um, you know, bare life, I feel like is just one of the levels. No life is the end of the, of the, of the line with this, you know, because there's nothing more carbon neutral than a dead than a dead being, you know, you know, there's nothing <laughs> completely inert, you no, know, not creating any more carbon, not doing any sort of thing. You know, it's, you know, why, why should people even exist? Why should we even make more people? You know, it's, you know, maybe, maybe life is suffering. Maybe we don't need them. So it really does. It, it is almost like total bleak nihilism at the end of the spreadsheet, you know, at the, at the sum total of it. Um, it, it, it is, and you see, you see it poking its nose into the tent because there's certain countries like in Canada, uh, and Holland, and in Switzerland, where they're they're making it very easy for people to be euthanized. It was a story um, that I saw last week, and it was a girl from France who'd witnessed the Bataclan massacre of I think it was 2016. Um, because the, the that wasn't just a terrorist attack. There was some things went on inside of the theater, which the, the which the French security services they didn't want people knowing. But it wasn't. It was basically it was there were there were some really truly horrific tortures um, and humiliations went on inside of the Bataclan theater thing that, that happened. And there was this girl who witnessed it. And she couldn't cope anymore. She could. She could never get over it. Um, and so she's gone. She's. She's. She was like sixteen at the time, and she's twenty three now. And she's went and got herself euthanized in Switzerland last week, just like that. Just. Just. So. So it's. It's kind of like I did. I, did, I mean, one of my older videos because I've known 
quite a few um, men in real life who've committed suicide. There's, there hasn't been there's, there hasn't been one for a few years actually, but um, yeah, I, and and one of the things that I noticed was this this kind of loneliness, this kind of uh, dislocation, um, and especially dangerous is nostalgia for men of a certain age. Um, and when when and I spoke to them, I worked with them, um, I was close with some of them. Um, and they would go along and they would ask for help. And all that happens is that you'd, they'd get put on these, you'd get put on antidepressant pills, basically. And when you actually listen to their complaints, it was kind of like the, the, their problem was with society. Um, you know, the, their problem was with women. The pro- their problem was with how many hours they had to work. They were con- the, What they were really at the root like the problem they had was that they were sort of on dissident right mentality, but they didn't have the they they did they hadn't done the they didn't know it in an intellectual way. Um, they you know they they hadn't read Julius Evelar or, or all of these things. You know, um, they they all of these kind of people that we're familiar with. They they have those ideas. They didn't have access to that, and so. What 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 I thought was horrible was that they like it occurred to me that they were actually right that they had reason to be depressed, um, and and that when they were going along to the, the the doctors or the psychiatrists or whatever, they couldn't answer them. They couldn't answer the complaints that they had because it was it was society itself that was the problem. But the problem is like they, they we can't we they can't admit that. Because it's it's taken as a, a a norm, and so it becomes a you problem, uh, as as uh, Shapiro said. So all of a sudden, we can't actually admit that it's society that's sick, because we don't know how to fix it. Um, you know, or, and you know, fair play. Like if it was just a doctor, he would immediately become a sort of political activist. I suppose it isn't his place to diagnose sickness in society. It's his place diagnose problems with the individual and so all he all he can do is uh pump people full of tranquilizers and painkillers and send them on their way but it, it doesn't work um and and I, I realized that with few of the deaths a few of the suicides uh, which have i've kind of where it was men who i was quite close to and i i, I knew what their problem was and i actually agreed with them mainly but there's no there's no way around it, and they, they don't know how to fix it. They don't know how to get out of the problem. So rather than say, um, yeah, society is the they 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 would not they in their own minds they would end up thinking, well, it is me. So I don't feel right. I don't feel like society is right. Um, I don't feel like it should be like this. But I don't have any kind of frame of reference. I can't explain why that is. It's just a feeling. So you go to the doctors and you say that to the doctor, and the doctor says, "Well, yeah, society is fine. It's your problem." Um, so they, they, there's no way out in that regard. I mean, if if you know we we, we do ourselves down quite a lot for the black pilling and um, things in dissident right circles, but we do have all of this stuff figured out, you know. I mean, there's. I, I always get comments like saying, even under a, a, like a bleak. I mean, a lot of my videos are quite bleak, pessimistic, but they they kind of find a catharsis in there, precisely because the the rest of society won't address its own madness, if you know what I mean. Um, and so there there is there is a kind of catharsis to be found in a in a diagnosis of what's gone wrong, because then they feel like okay. I mean, I, I get these comments all the time, and it's like, yeah, I thought I was going crazy. I thought I was going mad. Uh, now, now I get it. And then you can kind of go back into society, sort of one or two steps detached, um, bet, better able to kind of understand. Yeah, I think that's that's an extremely useful um, kind of aspect of the of the dissident right, and. Uh, it's it's it is kind of strange. I think the, the the useful part of it is just like you said, it's a it's a frame of reference, one that um, kind of stands on itself and is a, is a confident frame of reference. 
that provides, you know, provides truth in, in so many ways. And it's, it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, self-explanatory for, for a lot of, a lot of people. I was just, it just reminded me because I, I went, um, when I was living in London, I also went to, to therapy and I did CBT for a bit for anxiety. I was just having like panic attacks at work. And, um, and you know, it, the, the funny thing was that the therapist was trying to have me create a whole entire value system out of thin air so that I could peg my, um, my worldview to that self-created thing uh, because that was the only thing that, you know, she could come up with for me um, because she couldn't just say, okay, you know, there, there are pre-existing value frameworks. You know, there is a, you know, there is truth. She just couldn't say. It was all about, you know, me, you do you. And, you know, you just have to write down what are your top 10 values? Like, what are my top 10 values? Like, what even, what, where do I even start? What, what frame of reference are we using? Like, I came to you because I was unmoored and you tell me, I know you're unmoored, but you know, here's a pen and a piece of paper and you have to make a top 10 of your values. Like, you know, what was the value? Well, my top 10 values include irony. Uh, you know, it's, it's all, it's, it's nuts. And you, you'll, you'll notice implicit in that is that it's, it's just, again, like it is just you, the individual. It's yeah. So you, you me, myself and I create, like if you're not happy with the wider values and create your own. Problem is, of course, you can't even do that because if they run afoul of the wider values in society, <laughs> especially in London, yeah. you're gonna get carted off the you know, you're gonna you're gonna ask have you have you got have you got a license for that value system? And if it's the wrong one, you're gonna get you know, you'll get carted off the hate speech jail or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, I was I wasn't as uh, as based back then, but I might have tried to sneak some some more serious values into that. But yeah, it, it just it just felt very strange. It felt like absolutely no help at all. You know, it's like okay, you know, you just need to think about this even harder. And it's not like you're not ruminating about this stuff enough. Here's another layer to ruminate about. Yeah, it's just completely useless. I can imagine, like you know, the men that you're speaking about. Like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty like a verbal woman. I like to chat, you know, I just chat to that woman and it kind of helps just the chat itself. But for, for guys who might not have the same, you know, way of relating, it's less than useful. It's even more confusing. Yeah. I mean, the, the, you know, you, you're talking about working class, working class men, they did, and, and to be fair, they would drink too much and, uh, they're, their like sort of relationships would be just train wreck after train wreck. Well, we I think we've, I can speak to that as well. But um, yeah, so so they they end up they end up like not not knowing if they're coming or going. Um, and it's 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 a sad thing. The the thing there's a, a there's at least three examples, um, where. One of the like on the nights. I know this is getting kind of bleak, like, but it's 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 one thing that the a uh, kind of um, recurring theme was this like crippling nostalgia. Um, I know one example where there was somebody was sending uh, like YouTube videos to uh, a family member, um, and all of the music was from when they were like kids, when they were uh, like youthful, and and then he was he's ended up like so he and in his forties, um, he he actually he was actually married as well, um, but for whatever reason, there's this he he couldn't get over the fact of, of that, um, as as Pink Floyd say in their own nostalgic uh, epic. The division bell, uh, high hopes. Uh, the grass was greener, you know. Where uh, it's a danger zone because on a on a on a sort of deeper level, there's it's it's you've now become the the. Where, I think one of the because I'm I'm kind of obsessed with nostalgia as well, um, and there's there's this kind of glow to it. There's this kind of energy to it, and part of it is in the the idea that things are coming into being. The future is coming towards you, um, and that, that is, as the Pink Floyd says, it's high hopes. But then th there comes a point when it's like you've become um, when when spring has has become sort of late summer or, or autumn has set in, and then you begin to think back, and then you begin to remember how it used to be, 
And this is this is something which is, I mean, just to move it on for a little bit, I think this is something which is endemic in Western civilization as well. It's one of the reasons why cultures just become so stale. You know, it's it's one of the reasons why people don't know how to create anything new is that everybody's dragging all of this baggage around behind them. Um, even even in the the political realm, you know, everybody, everything's a. If you think of like the way the left kind of scream fascist and Nazi at everybody, again, it's it's like there's a story behind that which is related to. The, the culture and the history. Um, and it's like we're just, it's weighed down by all of this baggage of the past, I think. Yeah, yeah. It does It does feel like we can't move ahead from uh, from the Second World War. Mid-century Germans seem to be the only reference point that either, I mean, the the, the kind of the normie right also as well. I mean, that's, you know, you know who, are, who are the real racists? Um, there's kind of been a, a, a lot of chat lately, and this is mostly from from academic agent. I feel like he's he's created this this poll. You know, first it was he had a, an article about Christianity that Christianity is essentially irrelevant to to politics, and now he's had uh, kind of another move, almost even more meta about ideology in general being ir- irrelevant, and that essentially it's all uh, it all reduces to to a cover story for power, you know, power does what power does. And then ideology comes in to, to provide a narrative, uh, backing. Um, I don't know personally how, you know, com- complete the series and how, it, you know, ex- extremely, I, mean, I think things are probably more so than people realize, but I wonder what, what's your feeling about this, uh, this, this meta theory. Well, I've I've got to be careful because I don't want to get dragged into a, a whole <laughs> a whole kind of load of drama. I watched uh, his video, which I quite enjoyed, and I watched um, Keith Wood's response, and I, I thought that was a. I'm I'm kind of fifty fifty. I, I can see both sides of it. I hear I'm, I'm being a boring fencer, <laughs> but the, the I thought um, by and large I mainly agree with academic agent. But I will put in that I think the point made about why, what motivates you to do something in the first place is, is which Keith made, is a, is a good one and a, and a powerful sort of retort. Um, so if you are going to reduce everything to the sort of Schmittian friend, enemy, then how do you actually classify your friends and your enemies? And there's going to be have to be some criteria towards that and it is going to be a set of values. It is going to be a set of ideas. Uh, and loosely, it will be ideology. So I think that was a, a, a kind of, I think that was a well-made point. Uh, but but I, do, I, do, I do, I do, I also see the problem with ideology when you're in a position of weakness, because you, what, what, like if it sets off all the wrong the bells, you just never get anywhere near power. Um, and I find there's a kind of paradox sometimes where ideology can actually get in the way of of, of like of, of what it says on the tin. I mean, I think one of the reasons why there was so much drama around the pandemic was because if if my kind of starting point is to do what's as a nationalist to do what's best for the like my people. The, the native indigenous people of Britain, and then beyond that, the wider European family. Um, if there's a mortal danger um, coming towards you, some kind of the, the Black Death 2.0, then okay, then there's going to have to be some really kind of strict uh, things for the greater good to keep people safe. So I can, that's fine. But then at the same time, once you realize you're being taken for a ride and once you realize that actually this isn't that good and especially when you begin bringing in the untested needle craft um and then like forcing it onto people then on the same principle i completely switched and i was like i'm against this tooth and claw i think this is absolutely disgusting the principle was the same in both um and I, the, 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 but I think there was a, a, some things went wrong where 
that 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 I was then accused of being like a libertarian or a liberal because I was opposing power, state power, um, and th- and that that opened up all kinds of uh, sort of drama and there was a lot of a lot of back and forth about it. But what had happened, I think, was that the ideology of somebody who is like saying, "I'm not a liberal, therefore I'm not going to mourn when the state does these things," got themselves. They kind of painted themselves into an awful corner. Because then the it was actually directly opposite to the well-being of of European people. Do you see what I mean? Um, and and they doubled down on it. Um, and that was yeah, that was it's 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 kind of over with now. But yeah, it, it exposed some serious fault lines. And by and large, I find that kind of thing exhausting. Um, which is why I kind of tiptoe around other issues that are people that are people kind of um. In fighting about, but um, I think on the on the subject of power, I, I kind of it's it's kind of depressing to acknowledge it. But yeah, it does seem to be largely immoral. But you are going to have to have something which motivates you to do it in the first place. Yes, and I think you know the the one of the more the larger consent like points of uh, what's it called uh, shelling points in in the in the group. Is that you know it's it's okay to be pro good things and against bad things and also understand the inevitability of power, you know. It, it I feel like that's you know minimum viable ideology in this space, and you know the good things you can recognize. You know you just need to have a, a finely tuned uh, um, radar for for uh, kind of hierarchy order things like that that you know kind of inform the the, the right wing psyche and you don't necessarily need to be much go much further than that like you know breast amputations yeah that's that that falls onto one side of no very obviously for for people on our side um and yeah it it does feel to me like uh you know people who stick to you know the the power can do no wrong and things like that this is obviously absurd and they get themselves into trouble like you said um before I let you go, because we're coming up on an hour now, uh, I want to ask you the question of the show. This ev- Everyone gets this question. Um, and it is, do you have um, a subversive thinker, you know, in the spirit of this show, um, someone who is uh, uh, who's maybe influential in, in, in your thinking, you know, it could be a writer, it could be, I don't know, a movie director, any sort of type of thinker that's producing any sort of cultural output um, that you think is um, deserving of more attention? Do you mean like a, a content creator in our circles or something? Could be anyone. I mean, you know, if some people recommend writers. Um, someone recommended, you know, a band. Uh, someone recommended, I don't know, a, a video game creator. Someone who's just, you know, was um, an important influence for you, but you think is is underrated or people just really maybe don't know about. Um, I, I don't know. I've, I, I've been, um, it really isn't really political related. I have been reading a, a set of books this year um, by Maurice Ron, uh, called It's called the Accursed Crown series. They were written in the in the fifties, um, and it's kind of like Game of Thrones. Basically, George R. R. Martin based his he copied it basically the, the, on that. Um, and I'm I'm onto the third book now, and I found it so refreshing because we started like going on about it's just one crisis after another um and i'll it's great to take yourself completely out of that kind of frame um and i've i really if you want to kind of just step outside of it and escape this this chaos of the moment that's been i've just been devouring these books and i I really like them and they're really you you get these um because you're not going to find anything on TV worth watching or anything, and and I, the, the, you get these beautiful paintings. You know, you get like the the King Philip of France, like walking through Paris in it would have been I think like 1390 or something, or around about 1400. Um, and he he, he depicted perfectly of pheasants hanging there and what the smell is like on the streets. Um, and all of that, and then of course you get the, the intrigue and the plot, and the the characters are well fleshed out. So I haven't really got like a heavy weight because I know like it would be I could like prattle on about like Spengler again for like an hour or so, 
And I know that all the other guests will have kind of, a lot of them anyway, will have dropped like their favorites, right wing philosophers. And I'm like, yeah, if you want to just like, because this has been pretty depressing. We talk about suicide and everything. <laughs> but if you want to like just relax and take your mind off things, I would really recommend um, the Iron King uh, books by Maurice Duran. It's a, just just take some time out and enjoy. It's a great read. Yeah, excellent. I think that's uh, that's a, a very worthy recommendation. I do think we've we've got you know obscure right wing philosophy covered in in, in this corner. Um, and yeah, I, I do think people should yeah take their mind off I'm of actually, this stuff. Yeah, I'm actually what, one last one that I'm reading at the moment is. Um, this is a bit more political, but it's the called the Forever War by Joel Haldeman, and um, it's a bit of a mind bending. It's like an, an a sort of answer to Starship's troopers. I don't know. You want to wrap up, but the the story really quick is that you get these like super trained Marines to go off and fight aliens in a war, and because of the way time gets distorted in space, they come back to Earth. And um, like Earth has basically the UN, it's a one world government and the UN is like enforcing everybody to be gay and um, they, 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 everybody eats uh, bugs uh, and all, all of this we had, it's yeah, that's creepy. This was written in like 1970, I think. Um, and they do it because the population of the, the Earth has reached 9 billion and they can't afford to have it go anymore. So they've got, they've enforced homes, like basically it's, everybody gets brainwashed to be gay and they live in these little pods where they eat insect larvae um, and they're allowed to smoke dope as well because it makes everybody kind of dopey and, and less energetic. Um, and, and so that the, these kind of marine recruits come back and they've been away for what amounts to 30 years in, in Earth time. In reality, they've been away for 18 months. And they have got like uh, they have accrued like a million dollars in back pay, but they get taxed like ninety percent, so they lose it all straight away. And, and I just thought this is really weird. So the, it's like literally what's coming up. It's literally what's happening in the world right now. So that's okay. that's another tip that I'd give, which is a bit more political and got a bit more sort of commentary about global warming in it. Yeah, that's that's extremely. Uh... Interesting, but you know it's interesting because you know talking about all these political philosophers, there's, there's a lot of people in the fifties and sixties, uh, even in the forties, who could see down the road, you know, kind of predict pretty pretty well what was coming. But this this sounds extremely accurate. It <laughs> is, you know, the level of detail is uh, unnerving. The the whole the whole, what's I think interesting is that the whole the uh, sort of great reset, sort of the digital world. It is kind of out of date. It is like a 70s version of utopia, which is why it just doesn't speak to people in the 2020s. It's why we find it horrifying. Whereas if you look, if you look at the aesthetics and these kind of kind of sanitized, clean cities that they've got and all of the, you know, the, all of the PR stuff, it, it, it is actually it is actually like a 70s vision of the future. Um, I would say a 2020s vision of the future is actually homesteading. It's actually it's actually less technology. Nobody imagines themselves being like what being on Twitter or watching YouTube at 65 years old. Everybody imagines themselves like sitting reading a book with a little log fire on, with the grandkids running in and out. Nobody wants. Nobody has that vision of themselves in the future where. They're kind of hooked up with goggles to the to some virtual reality, and, and it's it's it's. But in the nineteen seventies, when it was so far away, they could kind of play around with these things. It's interesting that so many of the main players are actually really old as well. Um, you know, they're 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 all like in late sixties, seventies, and it's as if they had this vision of the future in the seventies. And it never really came to fruition, and they're running out of time, and they want to they want to make it happen now. Whereas the younger people, and I'm not even that young, but I think the the the, the for the people who are actually of 2022, the 2020s, their ideal is not that. It is a, a more rooted life, you know. That all of the problems with atomization, they want to see an end to all of these things. 
they want to return to something more grounded, more real, more normal relationships again. Um, so it's like the, the opposite of this kind of weird 1970s sci-fi dystopia, which is actually being imposed on everybody. But it's not really new in that way. It's it's actually it's kind of old and stale and alien to us now. Yeah, that's that's a great observation. I, it does feel like we're living in some some you know schizo dream of of Klaus Schwab and and his cohort. Um, yeah, I mean, what was the title of that last book that you recommended? It's called The Forever War by John Joe Halderman. It's a, it's a sort of reply to Starship Troopers. Excellent, excellent. Please look that up and please do follow Morgoth's review on on YouTube and also on Substack at uh, Morgoth. Substack.com. Uh, is there any other thing uh, that people should be checking out? Any other resource? Um, no, that, that's it, really. Um, thanks for having me on, Alex. Thank you so much for coming on. I, I really, really enjoy your, your channel and your video essays, and I really encourage everyone to, to, to have a look. If you like what you're hearing, want to see where I take it, and maybe want early access to episodes, bonus episodes, access to the AMA, or you just want to support the cause of dissident speech or my work in general, head to my Patreon at patreon.com slash aksubversive. Your donations are what keeps the lights on and makes the show possible, so thank you. <laughs>